You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. has given an invitation at the feast. If you're thirsty and you're thirsting for righteousness, come to me. Come to me and drink. Jesus has given this invitation. And now the invitation extends to everyone in the entire world. And the invitation has not changed in 2,000 years. It's just as valid as it was then as it is now. Just as valid. He said, whoever follows me, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. In today's message, Pastor Dave will challenge you to evaluate your life. Where are you walking and who are you walking with? Jesus invites everyone to walk out of darkness and into his light. He didn't just invite those who followed him years ago. His invitation is for everyone, including you. What a gift. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 8 as he begins his message, The Choice Between Life and Death. John chapter 8, verse 21. Then Jesus said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Because he says, where I go, you cannot come. And he said to them, you are from beneath. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Then they said to him, Who are you? And Jesus said to them, Just what I have been saying to you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. They did not understand that he spoke of them of the Father. Then Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And He who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do the things that please Him. As He spoke these words, many believed in Him. So as we come now to this portion of our text, Jesus is still in a great conflict with the Pharisees. This conflict has been going on for some time, and it went all through the Feast of the Tabernacles. This conflict will continue now for another six months, basically, and will ultimately end with the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. This great conflict that's happening between these two, the religious world and Jesus Christ. Jesus had made several radical claims about himself during this great Feast of the Tabernacles. He claimed that he was the living water. And he said that if you would just come to him and drink, if you were thirsty, you would come to him and drink. Out of you, out of your hearts would flow torrents of living water. He said, I'm the light of the world. I am the light shining in the midst of a dark place. I am the light of the world. He who comes to me and follows me will not walk 
in darkness, but walk in the light. These statements of Jesus did not fall on deaf ears. Those listening to him knew exactly what he meant. They knew exactly what the intent was of his words. It was nothing more than a declaration that their Messiah, their long-awaited Messiah, had come and was standing now before them. The religious leaders could not fathom that Jesus, the son of Joseph the carpenter, someone from Nazareth, could actually be their long-awaited, prayed, and hoped-for Messiah. They couldn't believe it. Why? Because of their prejudicial attitude. They were so prejudiced about the people from Nazareth, so prejudiced that a man claiming to be God couldn't happen, even though they've read the scriptures, even though they knew all the prophecies, even though they read and studied and looked. They couldn't believe it. Their prejudicial attitude wouldn't allow their mind the freedom or even the possibility that their Messiah would come in this form. So they accused them. You're bearing a false witness. Your witness is not true. Because a man could not bear witness of himself. According to their law, they needed at least two to make the witness true. They needed at least to be two men. Jesus said to them, I have a greater witness then. I have a greater witness than you all. My Father in heaven who sent me, he bears witness of me, and his witness is true. Well, this infuriated them. This infuriated them. How dare you claim that God is your Father? How dare you claim that? What Jesus was saying to him, disprove me. I'm saying who I am. You have to disprove me. You disprove what my claims. So the conflict continues. These religious leaders didn't want anything to do with Jesus. In fact, we read in John 5 that they actually wanted to kill him. From a very, very early time, they wanted to kill Jesus. They can't figure out who he is. Even though he has told them time and time and time again. But they choose not to believe. Remember that. They choose not to believe. They were still looking for proof. They wanted hard evidence, even though Jesus had done miracle after miracle after miracle before them. These men could not see Jesus, their Messiah, standing right before them. Why? Because they were dwelling in darkness. They were dwelling in darkness. It's within this passage, we see this great struggle happening. And as I read through this passage, my heart was overwhelmed with this great struggle, a struggle that still takes place today. It's the struggle between life and death. It's a struggle that we all face all the time. And this struggle that we're reading about today was taking place in the hearts of the Pharisees. It was taking place in the hearts of the people who were listening to Jesus and listening to this conflict between the Pharisees and Jesus. Their hearts were burning. They wanted to know more. The struggle was within their minds. And it was no small dispute. Why? Because the conclusion they made and the choice they made had eternal consequences. They were faced with a choice that had eternal consequences. The issues struggling these men, or the issues these men were struggling, excuse me, were basically the same one that people are struggling today. Did you know that today, even now, there's a great struggle for souls in this net world? There's a great struggle for the souls of men and women everywhere. Men or women are being asked to choose lightness or dark. They're being asked to choose good or evil. Jesus has given an invitation at the feast. If you're thirsty and you're thirsting for righteousness, come to me. 
Come to me and drink. Jesus has given this invitation. And now the invitation extends to everyone in the entire world. And the invitation has not changed in 2,000 years. It's just as valid as it was then as it is now. Just as valid. He said, whoever follows me, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And here we have the great divide. The great divide. The contrast between light and darkness, good and evil, life and death, God and Satan. Jesus is addressing the problem we're all facing. See, we seem to think that the greatest problem facing the world today is the threat from North Korea or from some other country or from whatever. We think that the greatest threat is terrorism. The greatest threat may be cancer. The greatest threat might be a natural disaster which is coming upon us. But all these are are mere symptoms. These are mere symptoms of the reality that runs much, much deeper. God is light and there is no darkness in him. But in this world, there are dark forces at work. In fact, John in his first epistle, in chapter 5, verse 19, says this. We know that we are of God. And the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And hence, there's the problem. The whole world lies under the sway or under the control of the wicked one. John is saying, everyone in the world, everything in the world is under Satan's control. And he's right. Satan has control of the world right now. Right now. Sin, spiritual darkness, deception, corruption. Fill the earth. Turn on a local news channel and watch and read. It seems like it's getting worse and worse. Every human being is born into a darkened rebellion against God's rule. People ask me, why is there so much suffering in the world? It's because the world as a whole has not reconciled to God. The world on the whole has not been reconciled to God. Instead, the world is under the influence, under the sway of the evil one. They're under that sway. People want to blame God for the injustices in the world today. They want to blame God for that shooting down in Texas yet again. They want to blame God for all these things that are happening in the world, these tragedies. They want to blame all the rebellion against God. They want to blame the darkness against God. And someone said to me once, why doesn't God do something about this mess? Well, I have an answer for you. He did. 2,000 years ago, he sent Jesus Christ. He did something about the mess. He took care of the problem. He sent Jesus Christ to earth. Those that would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. God did something about the sorrow of mankind. He addressed it. The death on the cross was God's most powerful statement against human suffering, against human sorrow. It was his profound statement against sin and death. God has spoken to us, but he hasn't used words. I'm sure some will ask, how does one break loose from the tyranny of sin? How can one come out of the domain of darkness and influence? How can one come into the kingdom of God? Simply by following Jesus. Whoever follows me, Jesus said, will never walk in darkness. And this is a beautiful statement. But it tells me two things. It tells me two things in this one statement of Jesus. It tells me that Jesus will never lead me in the darkness. Jesus will never lead me in the darkness. He will never lead me to sin. So if I obey him, if I will follow him like a sheep who follows the shepherd, I find myself not in darkness, but I find myself in light. I find myself in light and I have life. 
On the other hand, if I am living in sin, if I am walking in darkness, I must not be following Jesus because Jesus won't lead me there. Jesus will not lead me into darkness. Jesus only leads me into light, for he is light, and there's no darkness in him at all. Notice how positive this solution is. It's not that I have to fight off that horrible lust. It's not that I have to fight off my selfishness, fight off my greed so I can follow Jesus. That's impossible. That's totally impossible. If I could do that, Jesus wouldn't have had to come. It's not that I can live a clean life. It's not that I can live a righteous life. No, I can't. That's the thing. I cannot do it. I was born in rebellion to God. I was born a creature of sin. But Christ has set me free from sin. He set me free from the chains of bondage. And if I make that profound choice, if I make that profound choice to follow him, no matter how imperfect or weak I may feel, I'll walk with him in the light. If I could live out that choice day by day, he will guide me where I should go. But I must come to the determination. Oh, yes, I must come to the determination in my heart that if nothing else, if nothing else, if all else falls apart, if all else seems like it's tragic, I will still follow Jesus. No matter what's happening to me or what's happening in the world, I will follow Jesus. And if my performance is less than perfect, if it's nothing to be proud of, if I stumble, if I fall, if I falter, I'm going to get myself up I'm going to turn and look to Jesus and continue to follow him. I'm not going to spend time, woe is me, eating dirt and worms. So, oh, woe is me, I fell. No, I'm going to pick myself up and I'm going to continue to follow him. We walk in the light as he is in the light. We have fellowship with him. And his blood continually cleanses us from all sin. We walk in the light as he in the light. We need to be able to say, church, with conviction, I've decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. Look at his followers. Did Peter follow him perfectly? No, I think not. But he followed him by choice, didn't he? Peter made a choice to follow him. How about James and John? They seem to be a little bit slow learners, kind of like me. They're slow learners, all right? But they were followers of Christ, and they followed him. And that journey led them out of darkness into his marvelous light. They followed him. They chose to follow them. Everyone that Jesus called had a choice. Had a choice. Follow me. Follow me. They had a choice. We have that same choice today. Following Jesus, what does that mean? Well, it simply means to believe in him for the forgiveness of sin. Believe that he took your sin upon the cross and died for you. Believe that God raised him on the third day and he now sits with God on the right hand of the Father. It means to believe, to trust in, to hope upon, to place everything you have in him. That's what it means to follow Jesus. It's not just mouth. There's action to that. You can say you follow Jesus, but is your life living up to the words that you speak? See, following Jesus is not just some words. Following Jesus is an action. It's a plan of action. Step by step by step, he leads me and he guides me. Men or women are being asked today to make the same choice between death and life. In fact, not much has changed because way back in the day when Israel was getting ready to cross the river, Joshua said this to the nation. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. This is Joshua 24, 15. 
whether the gods which your father served and were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Choice. He was putting a choice in front of the people. A choice. A matter of life or death. Tragically, though, some of the characters will make choices that will lead them to eternal death. And it's my prayer that no one in here has made a choice that will lead you to eternal death. And if you have, you might get a chance later on to reverse that choice and make a choice that will lead you into eternal life. The people that we're studying, these Pharisees, these people are being offered a chance. They're being offered a chance at life and by the only person who is qualified to give life. See, Satan desperately wants to make life, but he cannot. God is the only one who gives life. Satan can only give death. He can give what appears to be life, but it leads to death. Only God can give life. Only God can give life by calling on the telephone and said, accept Jesus now. You wonder, and I'm sure you've wondered because I've wondered before, but you know, I don't try to put myself above the Pharisees. I don't try to put myself in their place. I can't. But you wonder what they're thinking with the Savior, the Messiah, standing right before them standing right in their midst. They're looking eye to eye with him, and he's standing right there. What would cause a person to make a choice that these religious leaders are making? Jesus has offered them grace and truth, and they've rejected it. And what follows is a horrifying prediction of what their destiny will be. Jesus shows them a horrifying prediction of what their destiny is going to look like. And this is not by God's choice. This is not by God's choice. This is by their choice. We know from Scripture that God is not willing that any should perish. God wants all to come to repentance. We know that for a fact. So the offer of salvation has basically been refused. The offer of life and life has been rejected. They remain in their sin. They remain in the darkness. And as we look at John 21, it simply says this. Then Jesus said to them, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. Jesus is predicting his departure. It's as if he's given them one final chance. I love that about Jesus. He gives us so many chances. He gives us so many chances to receive, so many chances to come to him. I love that about him. Once I'm gone, you can seek me, but you're not going to find me. Once I'm gone, you're not going to find me, he says. This took me back to Isaiah. And in Isaiah 55, he says this in verses 6 and 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he, the Lord, will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he, our God, will abundantly pardon. Will abundantly pardon. Did you hear those words? He will abundantly pardon. The prophet here impresses a sense of urgency on God's people. Seek the Lord while he can be found. This is the time to seek the Lord. God can be found. Seek him now. And I can tell you, church, right now, this is the time to seek the Lord. Seek him while he can be found. Seek him while he is near. It isn't that God is hidden. It isn't that he's hiding someplace, waiting for you to play hide-and-seek with him. It is that he only can be found when our hearts are inclined towards him. 
when our hearts are prepared for him. And that inclination itself is a gift from God. We must receive that gift. The grace of God is a gift. It's a gift to us. And we must make the most of it while we have it. Not seeking and failing to call upon him is a bad choice. It's a bad choice because you won't receive any blessings and it will lead to death. The prophet Isaiah impressed the need for repentance among God's people. Repentance is simply turning away. If you're going towards darkness, to repent simply means turn around and go towards Jesus, go towards the light. It's a change of direction. It's a change of mindset. It's a change of mind thought. You change what you're doing. See, and that becomes an action. That becomes an action. You're accepting in your heart, you're believing in your heart, and you're changing the way you live. You're throwing away the computer if you have a pornography problem. You're giving up the alcohol, the drugs, whatever. You're giving up that sin that so easily ensnares you, and you've turned from it now. And if you turn from something, you've got to turn to something. You turn to Jesus. And he takes you in, cleans you up, makes you a child of God, you know, we saw a royal wedding this weekend. Oh, my gosh. I don't know about you. I've accepted Jesus Christ. I'm a prince. I don't need somebody to declare me that. I've declared that in God's word. I'm a prince. Ladies, you are princesses. Come on. Every one of you dreamed to be one of Walt Disney's princesses. Now you're one of God's princesses. Come on. You're a child of the most high God. You're a child of the king. That makes you a princess, ladies. We turn from that. He makes the point of saying the unrighteous man because of his thoughts. Wickedness may be demonstrated by our actions, yes, but unrighteousness can be found right here in our thoughts. Remember Jesus said, you say you don't commit adultery and that's good, but if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. You say you do not murder, but if you look at your brother with hate in your heart, you've committed murder. Thought, the mind. Paul knew this. Paul knew this when he's writing to the Corinthians the second time in 10.5 when he talks about bringing every thought into captivity for Christ. Bringing every thought into captivity. And then he says in Romans 12, we must not be conformed to this world, but be renewed by our mind. Renewed by our mind. And then we have this glorious promise. This glorious promise that says, and he will have mercy on him. God will have mercy on the person that turns. God will have mercy on the person that repents, turns away from the sin, and comes to him. Wow. Wow. He will have mercy, it says. He will abundantly pardon. If you ever turn to the Lord, you will find out one thing. He will never reject you if you turn to him. He does not reject if you turn to him with a sincere heart. Problem is, we were failed to return to the Lord. So Jesus is explaining to these guys. It's almost like these knuckleheads are standing before them, and I use that word loosely just to kind of lighten it up a little bit. But you're making the wrong choice, religious leaders. I'm going away. I'm going away. And I'm going back to the Father. And because you've rejected me, guess what? You're going to die in your sins. You are assured. We'd love to keep studying the Word of God with you again next time on Assure Hope. In the meantime, we invite you to learn more about this program by visiting our website, assurehoperadio.com. There, you'll find our archive of previous messages from Pastor Dave Shank, available to listen to, download, or even share with your friends and family, all free of charge. Just look under the Messages tab. 
You can listen to additional teachings from this series in John or jump to another book of the Bible. Each book gives some useful insight into God's plan for you and the world you live in. We trust that A Sure Hope is an encouraging program for you. And if you're without a church family, we'd love for you to join us. If you happen to be in the Cape May area, we'd love to meet you in person for a time of worship and Bible study right here at Calvary Chapel, Cape May. We meet weekly on Sunday at 10 a.m. And you can find all the information you need by visiting assurehoperadio.com. If you live further away or are unable to come in person, we understand. And we'd still love for you to be a part of our church family virtually. You can join us for church online through Facebook Live and on YouTube. Just follow the links that are available at assurehoperadio.com. And don't forget to like and subscribe to keep up to date with the latest information. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for joining us for this edition of Assure Hope.